Hi, Andy here with a quick message ahead of this episode. After two years of avoiding COVID, it finally caught up with me just ahead of recording this episode. So I hope the quality of my voice doesn't detract from your enjoyment of the episode. But the show must go on. So let's crack on. Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Speaking to people over the last few years about engagement, culture, leadership, and all those related topics has has been an education and a privilege. It's very easy, though, to end up talking about the same things constantly. Well, today, we're going to try and look at some familiar things from a slightly different angle, or at least we're going to attempt to. There are three or four recurring people-centric issues that are front and center of the things that many businesses are dealing with today. Stuff like the great resignation, or as the Brits sometimes call it, the big quit, the battle for talent, engaging communication, and the whole topic of remote and hybrid working. But are these new things? Have they only come about in the last two years because of the effects of the pandemic? With this exception of the great resignation, I'd I'd say not. And maybe you could argue that that has always been in the background, but people have been given a bit more time to think of late. And if they've always been there, why are we still talking about them? And actually, what has the pandemic changed? Maybe it's become just a bit like old wallpaper and we haven't taken as much notice of it of late. Maybe we need to reframe the issues or at least find other ways of drawing attention to them to provoke some more awareness and some different actions. Maybe the pandemic has changed the way we need to approach these things. Well, my guest today is Emma Harvey, who's the MD of Candid HR. Now, as a seasoned HR professional and board member, she is all too familiar with the people issues affecting engagement and culture in businesses today. But recently, Emma has tried to bring a greater attention to these things by writing a book, but not just another self-help instructional guide, but a novel, a story that brings to life the issues faced in businesses every day with fictionalized characters. Now, having a novel look at it gives us a chance to look at the issues of the past and an opportunity to think about how we might tackle them today in the hope that they trigger some form of better understanding and provide an insight into solutions that actually work and go on to sustainably improve the working environment. At least 
that's the idea for today. So let's give it a go. Welcome to the show, Emma. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here, mate. I think I'm right in saying you're my first novelist. Oh, I'm honoured. Yeah. <laughs> Thank I've, you. I've had book authors, but they've all been the kind of business handbook type books, not a novel. Um, so this is going to be, I think, an interesting look. Before we get into talking around all the issues that that people and businesses are facing today, tell us a little bit about you and about Candid HR to start with. Sure. Well, I started Candid HR in, in July 2018. So I had a, I had a good 18 months before the world went pear-shaped and mad in business. And, and prior to that, I'd had uh, 20 years of HR experience working for global corporates such as Johnson & Johnson, Wincanton Logistics, R.R. Donnelly, Tesco, you know, quite large, robust, unionised environments, um, packed full of interesting characters and challenges along the way. Today, what do you do with businesses that you look after? What sort of things are you coping with? Yeah, so t- so today I'm sort of trying to apply what I learned over those years uh, at corporate level to the SME world. So SME businesses who don't necessarily have an in-house HR function, but they know they want to do the right things in the right way. And um, we we try and bring that experience to those businesses and, and we try and explain it as the life cycle of the employee. So if you think about recruitment to exit and everything that might happen in between, HR should be in the middle of that, having a positive touch point every step of the way. Well, employee experience is the hot topic at the moment, isn't it? So, I mean, mm. that sits very snugly within there. So, look, I'm interested in the book and how it relates to these recurring issues that everybody's dealing with today albeit in a slightly different landscape so the book is titled have you got a minute now where's that title come from and where did the inspiration come for writing a novel so the inspiration for writing the novel came from over 20 years of hilarious well i think hilarious stories (laughs) in the workplace and the crazy stuff that hr have to deal with behind the scenes that people don't necessarily always get to see or understand and and there is a plethora of information out there and it's just this book is just a joy it's a veritable feast of experiences and characters that are, are obviously fictional mostly for legal reasons but a lot of it's based <laughs> on a lot of it's based on real life experience and you know, have you got a minute is the phrase that nobody wants to hear from hr but it's also <laughs> it's also the phrase that hr people use when they have to deliver difficult news i can i can feel the shivers running down my spine now (laughs) realizing where that title's come from and the number of times i've had those corridor meetings with an hr person saying andy have you got a minute and it was never a good conversation that was following (laughs) i just just for legal reasons i have to say these weren't necessarily about my behavior or things that i had done incorrectly but certainly issues that we had to address as as a business it sounds like a silly question based on what you've just said but why a novel and not just a kind of another handbook on on how to do hr yeah and and don't don't get me wrong there are very practical examples and and tips for people on how to handle certain hr situations that come up in the workplace but i didn't want to miss the opportunity to talk about some of the wonderful characters that i've worked with in real life but bring them almost to life again in a fictional setting the 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 humor that I've seen along the way, the warmth, the the feeling of being part of a big 
sometimes dysfunctional, but family in a workplace. Um, it was too good an opportunity, I think, not to try and bring to life fire a novel. And um, hopefully it's, you know, my intention was for it to be a very warm book. It's not meant to be a critical book. Um, sometimes HR people are accused of being aloof and not really in touch and sitting in an ivory tower. I want the book to show that, you know, good HR people are very much hands-on, very much ground up supporting businesses from the ground up and the people that work within it. And I just felt I would have more, more license and more freedom to write if it was a, a fictional novel rather than a, a how-to guide. And from what you talk about, less legal issues um, following the stories that you you may well, may well tell on today's Hopefully. episode. N- names have been changed to protect the guilty. It is a work of fiction, definitely. And so that message behind the book, is it really there to show the the caring, compassionate side of HR or or is it to bring attention to the issues and the sustainable solutions to putting some of these things right or, or a combination? You tell me. It's a combination, actually. So, um, you know, HR, first and foremost, are employed by businesses to deliver on objectives. And it's a much more strategic role now than it possibly was 20 years ago where, where this book set. But that said at the bottom of this at the heart of it whether it's managers directors vps ceos wanting to deliver things and having crazy ways and ideas of how to do it whether it's people on the ground doing crazy stuff hr has to manage all of that and you know there's a very real example that um, i talk about when i when i speak about the book and one of my roles was to strategize multi-million pound multi-million dollar restructures uh, across Europe and I'd be sat in meetings with Americans till nine o'clock at night figuring this stuff out going spreadsheet silly spreadsheet drunk after it and I'd walk out of my office and there'd be two ladies from the night shift having had an argument over throwing something in a bin and they'd involve their union rep and I'd just have to switch from one to the other like that mm. and 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 that that's the reality and and this this book um is is trying to express all of the different experiences that HR people have and the way that we handle them and deliver. And the timing of the book in terms of where you set it. So you say it's set sort of 20 years ago. And today we're going to talk about issues that we're facing today. And from what you see and what you've worked on, you know, we write to say that a lot of the issues people are facing today are the same. And then if so, do we need to take, a different approach to them and how does the book relate to what you might have done 20 years ago to actually what we need to do today mm. so i i think it's important to remember in times of crisis especially that most things are cyclical so right now for example we seem to have a candidate driven recruitment market well it was the same 25 years ago in inner city manchester when we couldn't hire people for love and money because unemployment was a, a, a an all an all-time low so these, there are definitely common themes and the book addresses what we did then and a lot of what we did then would still be relevant now. Okay. So I think, I think um, you know, there's takeaways for people. It's not just a novel about crazy characters. There are some, you know, very tangible and helpful examples in the book. We've got a whole chapter dedicated to recruitment, for example. We've got a whole chapter dedicated to people having sex in a warehouse <laughs> because that happens. People do do that stuff at work. A whole so chapter it's, it's, on sex in the warehouse. Yeah. Marvellous. Sex at work. Yeah, <laughs> sex at work. And the amount of times I've I've had to deal, you know, manage, manage the fallout of that in more ways than one. 
And um, it's, you know, this, this stuff still happens. Um, but there are common, there are themes then that are still relevant now. I think the, the game change has been the pandemic, obviously, and how technology has moved on since then to enable more flexible hybrid working. But not every every sector has that, you know. Yeah. I'm sure we'll, we'll cover that because if you're running a manufacturing plant, you can't go and do that from your bedroom. If you're running a retail high shop, you can't necessarily go do that from your bedroom. Yeah, so, there's, a, there's a real danger, isn't there, that everything gets sort of like COVID washed with this stuff, um, yeah. that uh, everything's about remote and hybrid working. But that doesn't cover the whole population, the whole working population for sure. So we can dig into that. So let, let, let's pick up on some of these key themes. Okay, so, I mean, we talked at the front about attracting and retaining good people. So the whole thing about uh, recruitment, certainly at the front of that. How does the book cover the recruitment? Is there, is there a particular story that you want to sort of share that would set the scene? Well, um, the, the book is set in, um, in the Northwest in 1997. And some of the challenges we had then, like I said, you know, unemployment at an all-time all time low, very, very difficult to recruit people. We're on industrial estates where people would literally go down the road for 10p an hour more. And that was a constant, constant cycle. So even then we had to be creative about what we were offering at a business, as a business and create a compelling reason why people would want to join us and stay with us. So back back then, it was all about offering MVQs, vocational qualifications for people, you know, signing them up in, you know, warehousing and distribution. It was brilliant. Level two, level three. We had ILM, that type of thing. We were very creative in in where we recruited. Um, This was was pre-internet, so pre-paid job boards. Um, And we, we wrote adverts in different languages based on the locations of the, of the distribution. We had buses to pick people up and bring them to work and take them home after shifts. You know, we did all, we did all sorts um, back then. And, and now uh, those innovative ideas are still out there, but they've, they've possibly moved on a little bit in terms of technology. And what's the big issue that you see that businesses in the main are facing around recruitment today? So I, th- I think there's a bit of a double whammy. So the big quit or the great resignation is real. You know, without a doubt, I think I read one poll poll recently by Microsoft where, you know, there's a global poll of 30,000 workers and 41% were thinking of changing professions or quitting. Do you think these are new thoughts for people that they're having? And do you see it covering the full spectrum of job roles? It's not just big execs who've decided, you know what, I'm going to go and live on my yacht rather than do do work now it's affecting everybody right it is it is affecting everybody and 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 most sectors some are harder hit than others but yes to answer your question i think i think it is affecting every every level of every organization and you know we as people have literally sat back and reevaluated what they want from life and traveling traveling to work for an hour and a half and traveling back and not having any free time within that to do anything that helps them on the home front is just not attractive to a lot of people now. I mean, if you take, you know, certain sectors like hospitality, supply chain, and even office-based roles where employers have been unable or unwilling to offer flexible working, those who have have just seen greater levels of retention and attraction, but it's got to depend on the sector that you're in. And it's not always that that easy to do so we're trying to work with our clients to come up with different more creative solutions if you're not able to 
offer hybrid working. So what are the good guys doing out there right now? How are they differentiating themselves? You know, we're seeing some crazy counter offers in terms of salary. So, you know, somebody's available on the market one minute, they're not the next because their current employer offered five, ten, fifteen thousand pounds more in salary. That's that's not sustainable in the long no. run. And what we find when we're actually speaking to people about it is, well, yeah, of course, I'm going to take it for now. But it's not the reason I was looking in the first place wasn't about money. It's about other things. So assuming that salaries are hourly rates that least reflect market rates and that candidates can actually do the job. Then one one thing we're finding that's quite successful is to talk about your company values in job adverts. So people shop around for jobs these days in this candidate market. And particularly with younger candidates, I think they want to identify with those values and be proud of the business that they work for. If you can offer flexibility, then shout about it in your adverts. If you can't, then let's also be very clear about what else is on offer. So things like career development and advancement opportunities. Career progression is is huge for people if they want it. Uh, Promoting from within, responsibility, the ability to move on and be mobile within your job is, is really good. To talk, really good to talk about sorry really effective in terms of a recruitment strategy and then you know some some of our clients are looking at boomerangs so boomerangs are people who've left a business went to work elsewhere and could come back to you to return to you with even more experience than when they left those candidates hit the ground running because they already know your business and your culture and you stand more chance of attracting them back if they've still got friends in the business who speak well of it well i think that connection to a business is comes through uh, people and the values match up doesn't it and just picking up on that values piece i think that's really interesting i would say that because i'm a big fan of values and a lot of the work that i do with clients is around discovering and setting and embedding values within a business and i will always espouse that these are important things but it's interesting to hear from an hr practitioner there with lots of businesses about just how important putting your distinguishable values out in the marketplace are in in attracting and retaining the right people so from your perspective it's not just a a whim it's not just a nice to have this is demonstrably getting hold of decent people for your business that's it it is absolutely and we we track it so we make data-driven decision making so we track where we where we hire people from how long they stay with the business the cost of hire as well and the cost of onboarding and training and that enables us to make sustained improvements in the recruitment process and informs our decisions on how we do it next time. Emma does it take longer that process of recruitment to to sort of sift through people who then have some kind of affinity or alignment to those values and that's what's drawn them in or is it there is no time difference it's just you're just attracting a different person right from the start but the knock-on no, effect here is better retention, right? Exactly that. So you, it might be a bit more time investment up front, but it will save you time and money later. So, and we take away all that pain for our clients because we do that. And we do that through, you know, technology by asking the right questions as people apply for jobs online. We ask it in interviews, we interrogate it. And by the time a client sees a candidate, they've already we've already done that alignment piece. And within the book, are there any kind of stories or attitudes or daft characters that you'd like to share um, that sort of like accentuate this this kind of issue of making the right choices and doing the right things to recruit the right people? 
yeah there's, there's lots actually and lots lots where it's gone well and somewhere it's gone you know horribly wrong where that interrogation piece isn't there and people have just started jobs where they're un, they're unable to do them i mean there's one unfortunate incident which is based on a on a on a real life experience and it was a, it was a quiet lady who used to work in an admin position behind the scenes who wanted to work front of house on reception so she was given a trial in the job and unfortunately she genuinely had a genuine diagnosis of Tourette's which she hadn't shared <laughs> with the business oh dear which came out when she was under pressure from from um, a regional direct who who I think called in or called called her on the phone and it it, ju- it just blew and um that was that was a massive learning curve for all concerned at the bless time bless her. you know luckily luckily she was she had a great sense of humor but she recognized it was probably a good idea to tell us before we put her on front of house that she maybe had this condition but it's also incumbent upon us to ask yeah it's not and to it, say that she, she couldn't do the role right but exactly uh, she could do the role understanding the parameters of it all uh, means you can you can take mitigating action right or explain to people situations rather than it being i guess a surprise or a shock uh yeah, when it exactly happened that. and that that wouldn't have made her feel great either right I'm no sure. it didn't but but we dealt with it you know very openly very compassionately very supportively and she was so grateful as were her family members that were there you know the management team were great and we did we dealt with it in the right way and it was all okay in the end mm. you know because you know that's what happens when you deal with things well but, you know we've had others where candidates have come for roles and not told us that they have a prison sentence pending you know and they're, they're three four months in and then suddenly they don't come to work on a monday morning and you're like did, did we do did we do any back checks or anything <laughs> oh, like that good grief i'm going on extended <laughs> leave um yeah didn't tell oh, you the, about the, that. the best well yeah and and re- genuinely this did happen to me in real life i got a, a guy disappeared we did the usual follow-up trying to check if he, if he was okay and the next thing i, I got a letter from uh, on, on prison paper basically and he, he'd gone to prison and he said I'm not going to be around for a couple of years but could you keep <laughs> me my job open and please could you ask fred on b shift to do the lottery for me while i'm away <laughs> oh god there you go that's that's real life on a page that's real life real that's life real life right there but but you don't you know it's really important in hr not to judge not to judge so I, I tell these stories with warmth and and humor and hopefully compassion you know for the people that are involved but it, it is it's funny it's funny to deal with it's amusing. These, these all these things come back to communication right i mean is it any wonder that communication remains probably the number one issue that businesses and people in businesses face right no it's always on the list is it still on the list today like some of the things and issues you have to deal with for businesses is communication still at the heart of these things yeah very much so we actually run a workshop this week on that very thing for our clients who you know it's about well hybrid hybrid working this this particular client had a model of hybrid so pre-pandemic everybody was in an office it's quite a technical administrative function that this this company performs so the benefit of employees and particularly new starters to the team of overhearing more experienced conversations in the office it's just gone it's lost so you know there's an an immediate problem with communication and onboarding and, and knowledge sharing 
So we're work, working with them to try and overcome that and put things in place so that those all important experiences can still be shared and best practice can still be shared and that the experienced people are open to questions and don't feel like they're being put on. Um, and it was just about working through that really and coming some, up with something that was pragmatic. The other thing that we're a big, big fan of with communication is something called Radical Candor. I love Radical Candor. <laughs> we love a bit of Kim oh. Scott on this podcast. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to meet Kim Scott and, and bow down to her. But you know that that ability to sort of challenge directly whilst acting compassionately is something we encourage. So, if an issue arises regards to communication or feedback, deal with it in real time. If you are giving feedback, give examples. Prepare for that meeting. Do it respectfully. Make sure it's confidential. Make sure it's coming from a good place. There are no weaknesses. There are no failures. There are just opportunities for improvement. And, you know, we, we do whole whole workshops on that to hopefully encourage that constant culture of feedback, in which case good communication just becomes this is how we do things around here. You must have some lovely, I, I use the term lovely, probably incorrectly, stories around how people communicate well or badly. Uh, yep. in your book yes <laughs> any spring any spring to mind that you want to share with us today well well there are some there are plenty but i can't they've all got a fa- you know, foul language to be honest <laughs> well you can maybe self bleep those out if you wish but <laughs> J- jfdi comes up quite a lot you know that, that old one yeah i mean just- i think that old image of just get on with it right mm. and I'm the boss. I'll bark the orders. I mean, I even, I say I even, I shouldn't be surprised. Even watching The Apprentice, which I still watch through my fingers, right? Me too. And to hear these young up and coming executives go, well, I am the boss and therefore it should be fine for me to bark orders. I find that quite disturbing that that's still an attitude that, that that's out there, particularly in a, in a younger generation. I know. I know, but they've got no idea how they sound. <laughs> That's why we watch it through our fingers, you know, I, because I, it's just so true. The self-awareness is, is in a different parallel universe. I, 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 I think I could, I could get into a whole, whole topic on it. But I think millennials in general get a bad press mm-hmm. and it's not, not always fair, not, not always fair at all. But there can be sometimes a bit of an entitlement culture. So, you know, I'm 23. I've had two jobs. I want to be a director now, please. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got to earn your spurs to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's also incumbent upon businesses to offer those opportunities and to train and to mentor and to coach. I mean, I think the, the whole coaching approach to development has, has come on leaps and bounds. In so even in the last few years with more and more people getting an opportunity to be coached, right? And take a bit of self-reflection, a bit of self-awareness and understand a bit more about yourself and, and how you, well, how you can go on to positively use your strengths, but recognize when they could become weaknesses and start mm. to round off some of the, some of the edges that you might have and develop in, in new areas. In, in the past, that used to be the bastion of the execs, right? They're the only guys who've got coaching, but everybody gets a bit of coaching. Yeah. now you know uh, and i think that i think that's a really really positive thing is is that where you see the differentiation between you know clients who who really kind of get communication development and growth of their people and those who are still sort of struggling is that one of the standout things 
it's definitely yeah definitely one of the standout things I think um a lot of people talk a good talk you know but without actually making it work on the ground so I don't know I, I suppose it's communication related but there's a lot of funky workplaces now where you have table tennis meetings and neon lights and go out for beers and all that and you can pour yourself a beer on site at four o'clock every day if you want one and all of that good stuff but behind the scenes people have got no idea what the direction of travel is what the strategic objectives are what they're working on or why and why it matters Mm. and I just think you can have all this this fancy pants stuff as much as you like but if you don't get the basics right what is the point and people will become disengaged with that they're not going to stay because you have a meeting over table tennis. Well, they're not going to stay, stay for the right reasons, are they? And then uh, well, that's, well, that's, yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? You want to... They'll stay because they feel connected and they want to do a good job and their values are aligned with those company values. But if, if they're sort of flailing around, then, then they won't. Yeah, engagement without any kind of di- direction is just fun. <laughs> that's yeah. not really going to help drive the business forward. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, and, I, and I say this honestly, engagement is an outcome of of setting the right direction of focusing on the people but making sure that everyone understands their place in delivering the strategy and and we have to execute the strategy with people who are you know happy productive uh, innovative um committed because if we don't have that then the sustainable results just don't just don't happen they're just Mm. they're just not there Uh, i completely agree with you on that we have to sort of cover off. I know we've touched it a couple of times, but we have to cover off this remote and hybrid working. I just have this mm. thing that there's a danger of this becoming kind of almost middle management washed everywhere. Everybody's affected mm. by remote and hybrid working. That's not that's not the case. Not every job, not every industry, not every business can even offer this sort of stuff. So what Correct. what is going on? What are you seeing on the sort of wider landscape? Yeah, so it's definitely going on for office-based roles you know Mm. we're seeing city centers empty which isn't isn't necessarily a great thing but people do want to work from home however if you're running a manufacturing plant you can't do that from home if you're running a retail shop you can't do that from home but there's a lot to do with a lot you can do in those those sectors so Mm -hmm. you can start with the basics as a minimum so employees need to feel that they can come to managers and ask for things like time off hospital appointments emergency childcare or flexible working any any business can offer that and make sure that that's how it works in practice doesn't necessarily mean working from home but it can mean flexible start and finish time split shifts a review of core hours but the key to success with any of this is communication and fostering that open culture where it's okay for these questions to be asked and i read i read a great quote about this the other day actually no matter which sector you work in it's really about humanizing work Mm. A lot of employees are asking, how has this company that I've given a lot to looked after me, my well-being and happiness during this crazy time that the world's been through? And if employers have been negligent in this respect, then people will leave to go somewhere they feel valued, whether that's an office role or a shop floor role or anything in between. Yeah, listen, I'm 100% in line with that comment. I, I worry when I hear people say, well, look, people are just grateful to have a job because maybe that was true. And maybe, maybe it's certainly true in the past and maybe it's true of some people today, but I think the vast majority of people are now wanting something more. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think being more human 
at work without wanting to sound like a hippie commune or anything like that. I think it's just about having a duty of care as an employer for the people, you know, who work with you, right? The same as you would look after your friends and your family. You you need to take a, this kind of outlook for the people that work for you if you want a growing, sustainable business. Yeah, exactly that. So, you know, like it or not, the recruitment market has changed. And like it or not, it's more of a two-way process than it ever was. In fact, the balance is in favour of candidates and they will shop for jobs like we shop for food. They will look at what they want and what they don't want and they'll make decisions, you know, based on that. I, I spoke to someone the other day who was doing some interviews and they were genuinely surprised when the candidate said to them, why should I work for you? They were kind of taken aback for a second and like, hang on, that's my question. I'm supposed to ask you why would you want to work for us? And and to me, uh, I was like, you shouldn't be surprised. That that's that's the reality. That's a lovely little vignette of what what it's like today. Yeah, exactly that. And I think um, the the employers that recognise that will be successful, and the ones that don't will be left behind. Reputationally, credibility. People talk, Glassdoor, reviews, you know, you name it. You want to be an employer of choice, I would suggest. And that starts for me with recruitment and putting the candidate journey at the fore of that process rather than what we want from you mm. or what can we offer you. What can we offer you to keep you and, and keep you engaged? And, um, you know, it's the very first point of the employee life cycle, recruitment. So right from the start, we should be thinking about that candidate's experience, which will become the employee experience and creating the right culture should should be a given. I think that's 100% correct, Emma. I mean, I just think it, but it, it shouldn't sound weird. You know, no. It shouldn't sound like a new, a new thing. And I, I guess it isn't a new thing. And that, that leads me to think about your book again. In You sort of said the book was written, you know, in the context of 20 years ago. Uh, and the landscape's changed today. When you look at the book and how you've written it, what what are the biggest changes you think in issues and approach back then to what mm. we're facing today? Mm. Well, I think the role of HR has just become a lot more strategic than it was in 1997. Mm. I mean, personnel used to be tea and sympathy, paying people in brown em- envelopes and things like that. And it's not now. We, we've had to grow up as an industry. You know, we've got the, the charter, the CIPD now, the Chartered Institute, which we didn't have back then, um, as, as a mark of our strategic sort of experience and input. And I think the role of HR, like I said, is ultimately to help organisations achieve their objectives through people and, and a people agenda. And unless you're, unless HR's in those boardroom meetings, you know, sat being able to make a contribution from the top then it will it will probably fail. So I'm really, really, really happy to say that all of our clients that we work with on a regular or partnership basis recognise the value of that. You know, we'll, we'll still sit in, sit on leadership team meetings with some of our clients and be in those decision-making forums. And that's brilliant because they see the value. Those that don't, if unless you're a, a pure sort of tech-based company that doesn't rely on people at all, you will be left behind, and I, and I think I think the role of HR has evolved, businesses have evolved, technologies evolved, but at the at the crux of it, at the bottom of it, managing people well is still really important. 
Yeah, it's and that has been the constant all the way through, right? With everything yeah. else is changing, nothing happens without the people at the end of the day. No, no. But, you know, I mean, things have moved on tremendously. Laws have changed. We didn't have the Equality Act back then. We didn't have the Bribery Act. We didn't have modern slavery. We didn't have GDPR. <laughs> so things things have changed immensely. And it's up, to, it's up to HR to help other managers and directors in businesses to navigate those changes and make practical solutions on the ground. And not just box tick either, Emily. Come back mm-hmm. to the whole coming from a good place perspective. I mean, that should be for me a kind of theme that runs through everything, right? Come yeah. come with the good intentions and match it up to business desires and needs and strategies and have a good strong support of your of your people. I don't think you can go far wrong. No. If you're going to do something, do it well. You know, well well-being is a bit of a, you know, it's a buzzword, but actually it's super effective if it's done well. Yeah. It's dire if it's done wrong. You know, people come to us and go, well, we've got a well-being policy and we've done some mental health first aid training. And I'm like, and? We've had a hand massage yeah. day. Um, it's not good enough. No. It's not good enough. So, you know, it should should have, you know, it should cover financial, social, mental and physical well-being for a start. And there should be a constant program of events and initiatives to keep it alive and keep it real. So that's just one example. If you're going to, if you're going to do well-being, please do it well. And if not, don't don't touch it i think the don't touch it thing is the same for so many different things even on the values stuff you know don't Mm -hmm. spend the time effort and if you use someone like me money to help you (laughs) determine your values and your behaviors that that the business needs if you're not going to do anything with it or you're not Mm going to uphold them because it'll do more harm than good you know making a false promise on anything is never a good idea Okay, Emma, we've come to the part of the show I like to call Sticky Notes, which is where I ask you to consolidate all your insight and tips into three little post-it notes of advice that people can take away. In this case, to help them perhaps take a fresh attitude to, to tackling these recurring issues we've discussed today. So what would your three sticky notes be? So I think number one would be think about the value proposition that you offer as an employer. And that's really about your employee brand or the unique system of support, recognition and values that you can provide to employees so they can achieve their highest potential at work. Okay. Think about that employer brand. That's number one. Secondly, I think when it comes to recruitment, you've got to look at it as, as a life cycle of an employee. So recruitment starts with a compelling reason to join your business. It starts with the candidate journey that becomes the employee journey. And then onboarding. Rather than there's a desk, there's a phone. What does good onboarding look like? And the third one, I think, would be to look at retention. And there's lots to do. You know, engagement surveys are still very popular and well utilized and easier than ever now through apps. Um, But I think one of the greatest questions we ask when it comes to these surveys is would you recommend this business as a great place to work? Yes or no? Can be a simple measure like that. And another thing that we do is we do stay interviews. So you'll have heard of exit interviews. It's kind of too late by then. People have checked out mentally and they've gone. But stay interviews are really um, a, a really good opportunity to ask people why they stay and what do they say about the business. So let's focus on that and keeping them rather than replacing them when they've checked out mentally. Lovely. Three very practical sticky notes there that people can take away and use. I'm sure they'll find that very useful. Emma, before I let you go and say thank you, good luck with the book. 
where can people get hold of it? So it's on Amazon. It's available on Kindle. We're just in talks about producing an audible version. But it's have you have you got a minute on Amazon and, and book two is in the pipeline. Oh, well, we stay tuned for that one, my friend. Listen, thanks so much for sharing your insight and advice today. Really appreciate it. And uh, I hope to see you again soon. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. All right. Take care. All the best. You too. Bye. Okay, everyone. That was Emma Harvey from Candid HR. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about her and any of the topics that we've talked about today, please check out our show notes. So, that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>